This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 37 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hello, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHP in Kansas City. I'm here every week, every week talking about your mind, sports, how they click, how they work together. I have been a sports psychologist for in my 39th year of work here in the Kansas City area, work with athletes around the country, one of the first trained sports psychologists in the country, and I love what I do because I help people try to become their best. And this show, which has been here for 18 years, it's my 20th year of radio in Kansas City, our show's around the country in a number of cities now, we get into the whole mental side of sports. You know, the last few years, we have seen a huge uptick in discussions about the mental side. It used to be people blew it off. Oh, come on, just weak people, they're just weak people. Well, you know what? Your mind makes a difference with what you do in everything, not just sports life, how you feel, how you act, how you think. Sports psychology deals with the whole psychological side of performance. I don't not only work with athletes, I work with artists, I work with musicians, work with people, I work with salespeople, because it all applies to everything. It applies to life, how we use our mind. My great uncle, Hurst Jacobs, who I've talked about many times on this show, he was the winningest trainer in horse racing when he died, February 13th, 1970. I know that because it was my dad's birthday. And he had won 3,596 races. He put the saddle on every one of those horses. He told me something once. Sports is the greatest theater in the world. Everyone knows their part, but no one knows what will happen. That became my mantra. And it's, it's sort of what I go by. We don't know what's going to happen. It is the great theater. You don't know if you're going to win or lose, succeed or fail. You don't know how it's going to go. But you know this. Once you go out there and put on your shoes, put on your uniform, swimsuit, helmet, clubs, whatever you use, and, and, and golf club, tennis, tennis racket, whatever you do, you're going to try. And you're going to hope to do well. We put so much emphasis on winning in this country. Win, 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 win. Okay, winning's the result. Losing's the result. What are the results of effort? Effort is the result of training, learning fundamentals and skills, but learning how to succeed and fail. And the greatest topic in all these years that I've worked, that I've dealt with people on, is the topic of self-confidence. Self-confidence determines, in my opinion, how you perform, how you handle success, how you handle adversity, how you handle failure, how you handle winning. I found that a lot of people take winning for granted. 
Years ago, I worked with a soccer team, pro soccer team. We'd won eight games in a row, an indoor soccer team, playing great. We had a big game on a Friday night. The assistant coach pulls me aside in the morning kick around. What do you think about tonight's game? I said, I think everybody thinks we're going to win because we've been winning. He goes, yeah, I'm concerned about that too. So the head coach, the assistant coach, and I sat down and talked about it. And head coach, we all agreed. Thought everybody sort of taking it for granted. They said, don't, don't say anything to them. I want to see how they react. So first half, we got blown out. We're losing 8-1. to one. Coaches let them have it at halftime. Going to overtime, tied. Lose in overtime by a goal. That was the last. That first half was the last poor half a soccer team played the rest of the year, because these guys got it. And we had a long talk that week about confidence. What is confidence? It's the ability to believe in you, in yourself, in your skills, your abilities, what you can do. So I want to get into that topic today on this show. How, as a coach, do you build confidence? How, as a coach, do you destroy confidence? And just what is it? So if you are a coach, I want, I'd want i like to get some calls in here today if we can. Our show's on early in Kansas City. It's broadcast in a lot of cities around the country. I'd like to hear from you if you're a coach. How do you build the confidence of your team, of your athletes? How do you get them to develop it? Especially if you see them not doing well. If you're an athlete... How do you maintain your confidence? You know, I have people tell me all the time, Doc, I lost my confidence. And you didn't lose it. Where'd it go? Out the window? Down the toilet? Disappear? It didn't disappear. It's a feeling. You're feeling, oh, I don't feel good about where I'm at. Did your confidence go away? It's how you react to situations. So I'd like to get some calls in here today from coaches about this topic of self-confidence. What does it mean? How do you build it? And how do you destroy it? So if you're a coach, you've got an athlete, you can tell his or her confidence is wavering. You can see this the doubt. What's the first sign of a lack of confidence? Hesitation, doubt, physically and mentally. I've got all these soccer players I work with, college and high school soccer players I work with, who are scared to go for it, scared to really go for it, really take it, you know, be aggressive, take the shots. Same with basketball players. When they're on offense, they're afraid to, you know, drive the lane. Shoot, what if I miss? What if you do? Well, Doc, then my teammates will get upset at me, my coach will get upset at me. They're going to get upset at you for trying? No, it's deeper than that. Somewhere along the way, as they grew up, they were criticized by somebody for failing. They were criticized along the way for screwing up. And that's why that hesitation's there at that time. That's why they don't do it. And it became a pattern. It became a habit. But then they're told, hey, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. So there's this conflict in their head. Well, I can do it, but I'm scared to screw up, so I don't. So confidence to me, confidence to me is what it all comes down to. 
So I'd like to hear from you if you're a coach. How do you coach self-confidence? How do you build it? How do you develop it? But also, how do you destroy it? If you're an athlete or a parent and you've seen your child's self-confidence ruined before, why does that happen? I'll give you a great example. I've got a young lady I've worked with, and she's a softball player. She played well in a couple innings. Then she made a couple errors. Coach took her out, sat her at the end of the bench, glared at her, and kicked the bucket. She's an eighth grader. Didn't say anything to her. What do you think that did for her confidence? It went away. She felt terrible. Her parents had a talk with him the next day. They liked this guy. They said, but coach, look, if you want to take her out, <clears throat> that's fine. She screwed up, made a mistake, that's fine. But you got to talk to her. I asked this young lady the other day, she's in my office, what is a coach's job? You know what she said? Doc, it's the coach. I said, did he do that there? She said, no. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. We're talking about, excuse me, talking about confidence today. I want to hear from you. If you are a coach, you're an athlete, you're a parent, I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. The world of youth sports has grown tremendously in the last few years, and with that growth comes questions. What's the right age to let my child start playing? When should winning and losing become important? And how can the youth sports experience be fun? These questions and many more are addressed head-on in sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs' book, Just Let Him Play, guiding parents, coaches, and athletes through youth sports. Written with Major League Baseball pitcher Jeff Montgomery and Hall of Fame swimming coach Peter Malone, just Let Him Play tackles the issues that make youth sports increasingly difficult for parents, coaches, officials, and especially kids. Just Let Him Play explains the importance of winning and losing, success and failure, and why it's okay when not every athlete gets a trophy. For more information and to get your copy of Just Let Him Play, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, for your copy of Just Let Him Play, Go to winnersunlimited.com and click products.
Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. When dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL, opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. Here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports. And today's topic is this issue. It's the issue of self-confidence. I've been working for 39 years in this field, and one of the things that I see all the time with people come in my office when I talk to teams is the topic of self-confidence pops up. How you can destroy it, how you can build it, how you maintain it. And one of the things where I think that contributes the most to that is how we communicate to young kids as they develop their skills in their sports in terms of how their confidence can be developed and how it can grow, but also how it can be ruined. You know, we hear all the time, if you know, you've got the baseball playoffs going on, Football's in the middle of the season. The NBA and NHL are going to get started. You will hear after all these big games, especially in the playoffs, you'll hear that word confidence pop up for the teams that did well and the teams that don't in one way or the other. The teams that do well will say, well, we maintained our confidence even in the pressure situation. We were able to do it. And then you'll find Maybe the teams that don't do well, well, you know, I just didn't feel good enough about myself. My confidence wasn't there. I think confidence starts being developed in sports when we start training kids to learn. To learn their skills, to learn their fundamentals, to learn how to 
accomplish their goals. <clears throat> but I also feel very, very strongly that how you learn how to fail, how to lose, how to screw up, in the end, will build your confidence and make it succeed under pressure situations. Because if you learn how to fail and are not afraid of it, you learn how to screw up and learn that it's part of the game. You learn to make a mistake and not be afraid to come back. Your confidence will be strong. But if you, as a youngster, as a young athlete, are criticized, degraded, insulted, cut down, made fun of, picked on because you made a mistake, then you develop a foundation of a lack of confidence. I'd like to get your thoughts. If you're a coach, what do you think? Do you believe confidence starts at an early age? If you're an athlete and you've played sports, you're playing sports now. When you have failed, how do you bounce back? When you have lost, when you screwed up, when you made, made a mistake, how do you bounce back from that situation? That's what this show is all about. It's about dealing with these issues. I've been practicing as a sports psychologist basically about as long as anybody in this country because when I started, nobody had heard of the topic. When I moved back to Kansas City in 1981 from graduate school, I interviewed at four of the small colleges in the Kansas City area to work as a sports psychologist. One of the athletic directors was an elderly gentleman. After I talked with him for about 15 minutes, said, listen, thank you for coming here, but we don't believe in hocus pocus and witchcraft. I just sat there and looked at the guy and I said, excuse me, sir, I'm not sure what you mean. He goes, come on, all this stuff you're talking about, this is, this is the way, to, you, you gotta just work hard. You just work hard. Your mind is a result of working hard. I said, okay, well, thanks for the time. He didn't get it. I've seen Olympians. I've worked with Olympians. I've worked with professional champions, collegiate champions, high school champions, national champions. I've worked with kids that didn't make it. I've had interviews with many, many athletes on this show about this. Next week, I'm going to have Willie Wilson on, who played in the 1985 Kansas City Royals World Series champion team. He also, in 1980, set the record for the most strikeouts in a World Series in 1980, which was eventually broken by Ryan Howard of the Phillies. Well, he struck out 12 times in the 80 World Series. He was a batting champion, but he also failed a lot. The athletes that really survive and make it to the very, very top, in my opinion, are the ones that learn how to deal with this issue. So if you are a coach... See if you're brave enough to call me and talk about it with me. How do you build the confidence of your team? How do you build your athlete's confidence? When you see a young person that you're coaching mentally is showing you, oh, well, I'm not sure. There's that doubt. There's that hesitation. There's that reluctance. There's that fear. How do you coach them through it? Do you yell at them? Do you scream at them? Do you degrade them? Do you pull them aside and say, let's talk about what's going on. I see fear in your eyes. I see doubt. I see hesitation. What's that about? Why are you feeling that way? Let's talk about it. Let's work through it. That's what a good coach does. You know, we hear all the time about coaches yell and scream. 
get angry and get ticked off at their kids. Okay? Now, if you have a great relationship with your, your athletes, you can get on them. I see that. And if they understand that, that's one thing. But if they don't, you're going to push them into a shell. Self-confidence is the ability to believe in yourself, your skills, your abilities, your talents, in your heart. So if you're a coach, how do you build the confidence in your kids? Most importantly, when you see them lacking it, what do you say, what do you do? That's what I'd like to get into today. Don't be scared to call me up and talk about it. If you are an athlete and you have felt at times your confidence has wavered It hasn't been there. Where does that come from? Well, it's all about that self-doubt issue. That self-doubt is is that internal questioning of can I, will I? And a lot of times that happens because you look around at your teammates, you look around at your coaches, you look around at the people watching, and you can tell they're upset at you. You're afraid to screw up because you don't want to let them down. You don't want to let other people down. So you then... You hesitate. Then when you hesitate, you get scared. Then you get scared, you don't do it. That's where all this comes from. I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind will come out on top. How do you develop a stronger mind? It starts with confidence, belief, heart, soul, internal drive, and not being scared. Not being scared. Not being afraid. What I have found over the years in my 39 years of work is the great athletes are the ones who handle fear in a constructive way. They see fear as a challenge. They see fear as as a motivator to go for it, a motivator to, to try, a motivator to push. They don't see fear as a barrier, as an obstacle. So if you're a coach, I want to hear from you. How do you develop the confidence in your athletes? If you are an athlete, how do you keep your confidence going when the pressure is on? And what does confidence mean to you? I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm here every week. We get into the mental side of sports. This show's been on the air for 18 years here. Sports Radio 810 WHB. And a number of cities around the country. Been on the radio for 28 years. This is what I do. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Are you an athlete, competitor, or ordinary individual who wants to learn how to relax, build confidence, and think more positively? Then the 20 Minutes to Success series of digital downloads and audio CDs from sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs are perfect for you. 20 Minutes to Success will teach you techniques to help you succeed. Dr. Jacobs covers topics like deep breathing for better focus, confidence building, and positive visualization. The 20 Minutes to Success series includes programs for individual sports like swimming, running, tennis, and baseball. You can also target overall athletic performance or relaxation. For more information and to get 20 minutes to success on digital download or CD, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, to get 20 minutes to success, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. 
Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. If you suffer from COPD symptoms like shortness of breath and fatigue, where do you turn? There are medications and oxygen, but do you know about pulmonary rehab? Three out of five COPD patients have never heard of it. Pulmonary rehab is an exercise, education, and support program that gives you tools to manage your condition, and Medicare typically pays for it. So whether it's grocery shopping on your own or just walking across the room, pulmonary rehab can help you. Visit livebetter.org to find out about your options for pulmonary rehab today. Here's farmer and landowner John Prue. We purchased the land about three years ago, and there was an old farmstead on there with trees. We were going to clear the land so we could farm through it. We thought we knew where the pipe was, so we didn't call to get it located. The work on our property led to the damage of a light crude pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everybody. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 10 WHB in Kansas City. And today's topic is about the issue of self-confidence, how you build it, how you destroy it. How do you make it work? I think it is the foundation of what athletes are about, what people are about. And it starts when we're young. And we always hear it all the time in sports, in the world of sports, this topic, um, I lost my confidence, I gained my confidence, it was there, it came, whatever. I think it starts when we're kids, and it's, it's, you're a confident person when you have failed and you're not f- afraid to do it again. You don't fear it, you thrive on it. So I want to hear from you if you're a coach, if you're an athlete, you're a parent, how you deal with it. 
All right, let's go to the phones. We have our first caller today. Let's talk to Jim. Jim, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Great. Thanks for calling in. Good. Hey, I, there's no way you'll remember this, but probably 20 years ago, I was a student at UMKC, and you actually let me come by your office and interview you for a paper I was writing about uh, kind of angry sports parents and that type of thing many, many years ago. So I still appreciate that. Well, thank you. I, I, I'm sorry I don't, but, but tell us. <laughs> what, I, I'm Hopefully yeah. I helped you out a little bit. Yeah, you did. Got an A on the paper, so that counts for something. <laughs> oh, well, good. Good. Yeah. Better than I did on paper, so that's a good thing. But, uh, yeah, I've coached uh, kind of high-level travel soft softball for 15-plus years. I'm a high school coach here in the metro area as well, fast-pitch softball. And, and it's definitely all about confidence. Um, you know, I think a lot of people refer to, you know, some of your better athletes, they're not cocky, but they have a little bit of a swagger to them. They just kind of have that confidence. That, you know, they're going to have a good bat when they get in the box, that type of thing. And, and I know a lot of what we talk to our kids about is, you know, kind of that mental preparation, having a plan when you get in the box based on, you know, maybe, you know, you know what type of pitch does that kid like to throw based on what the count is and that type of thing. It's where they at least feel like they're looking for something when they get in the box. And I think that helps them a lot. But, you know, they, they do have to know it's okay to fail. It's okay to mess up. Um, you know, I know we have a lot of conversations about, you know, why softball is such a great game because you might have the worst of bat you've had and, you know, the, in your life, and the next to bat, you might have you know hit a game you know game winning gapper to right center or something, and you know walk off win that type of thing, and that's what makes it such a great challenge, and and, and why it's such a great opportunity to do that. Okay, so I I, I mentioned earlier, and let me get your opinion on this because you coach softball. I've got this young lady I work with. She's an eighth grader. She's really good. Um, I've seen video of her. She had a game a few weeks ago where in fall ball, where she made two great plays. And then the next inning, she made two errors. The coach took her out, sat her at the end of the bench, kicked the bucket he was sitting on when she came out, glared at her, didn't talk to her the rest of the game, wouldn't put her back in. What's your opinion about that? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, we're all human, you know, and I can't say, you know, I've never had moments like that. I think over the years I've gotten a little older and a little wiser and evolved a little bit too. But, yeah, you know, if you pull a kid out, you got to tell them why you pulled them out and have a conversation with them after the game so at least they know what you know what your thought process was. And, well, right, because he, he, he said nothing to her. He just glared at her. Yeah. So the parents, yeah. the parents called him up the next day, not that day, the next day, and said, look, we got to talk. And because they've, they've spent a lot of time working with me, I said, look, you want to take her out of the game, that's fine. She made two errors, take her out, that's fine. We don't have a problem with that. But you got to talk to her. You can't just glare at her. Because she sat there at the All end right. of the bench, and then she got in the car, and she started to cry. She goes, I'm, I, I just totally screwed up. And fortunately, her parents said, no, you made some mistakes. You didn't totally screw up. Everyone makes mistakes. And you made two great plays early. She goes, well, coach wouldn't even talk to me. He just glared at me. Does that help, yeah. Jim? Does that help? No, you know it doesn't for sure. Um, you know, you, you definitely give them a you know give them a little you know, a little love sandwich. You know, start them off with something good, and then you know explain to them what went bad there. And, um, but you know, I, I think kids, you know, they they have to know that you believe in them. You know, if they don't think their coach believes in them, they're going to struggle. That's <laughs> just the way it is. So let me ask yeah. you this question. How do you coach failure? You're you're a coach. How do you coach failure? You know, 
I think each each situation is you know can be unique and different. But I think you know that one of the things that 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 we talk about is you know you just can't as a coach overreact to things. You know you've got to be maybe calm and confident in your approach so kids stay calm and confident. You know in, in their approach and. And I still think it's just a lot of a lot of conversations and, and just a lot of mental mental preparation. And where does it start? Things. Where does confidence, the, the ability to 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 develop it and learn from it, start? In your opinion, as a coach, pretty early age. You know, I think you know when I even had some you know, younger eight eight and under ten and under. You know, when, when you're getting you know excited about you know the successes they're having and when they're learning and applying things they've been taught. You know, you got to show them that, that 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 is awesome, and you're excited about that. And, and I think that's really where they start to gain that that confidence in themselves, their abilities. Well, and that's you know, you know, uh, if you have the book that, that I co-wrote with Jeff Montgomery and Pete Malone, uh, guiding parents through youth sports, just just let them play. And yeah. our third chapter is called "Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun," and that's in there early on because we think you have to teach kids that failure is part of it's part of life and not oh, to be yeah. scared of it to embrace it learn from it and grow from it because that's how you build your confidence right oh absolutely you know and i think if as, as you know i've coached you know young ladies for you know 20 years and, and and i really i feel like you know they have to feel good about what they're doing to play good and you you know so if they're not confident they're not feeling good <laughs> you know so they're not going to play well they're going to struggle and I agree. You know, unless, excuse me, unless you as a coach pick up on that and can reinforce that with them that day and help them get through it. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's what a coach's is, job is. Yeah, it is, and it's that trust piece. If your kids trust you and you tell them they're going to be okay, then then they're probably going to be okay. You know, and that's part of your job as a coach to, you know, foster those relationships enough that that they trust trust you when you're talking to them, whether it's a good conversation or a. You know, or, or a negative conversation sometimes. Sometimes you do have to have those difficult conversations. But but if they trust you and you're up front and explain to them what happened, you know, it's, it's generally going to work itself out okay. Well, Jim, I want to thank you for calling in. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, I'm glad I helped you through that paper 20 years ago. And if you need to write another one, let me know. I'll be glad to talk to you again. Sounds good. Have a great day. Okay, thank you for your call, sir. Take care. You bet. Okay. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. We're talking about self-confidence today. That was a great call. And, you know, the ability to believe in yourself starts with the reinforcement you get from others, the support you get from others. And when you make a mistake, I think when you're younger, and I want to get your thoughts on this. If you, you may disagree with me, which is fine. I think when you screw up, when you make a mistake at something, you are taught and coached and explained how to correct it, that it's okay not to be afraid of it, to learn from it. Because if you do, because you're going to keep doing that, it's going to keep happening, maybe not frequently, maybe infrequently, but you won't be scared to do it again. You'll go for it. You know, fear in sport, fear in competition, fear comes from the inability to believe that you're good enough. And that starts when we're younger with the message we're taught. And I, I can't tell you over the 39 years I've been in practice 
how many people have come into my office will talk to me about this issue. And when I get to the core of it, I'll find out when they were younger, there was some, typically it's a coach or a teacher that got angry at them because they made a mistake. Okay, it's one thing to make a mistake and okay, you screwed up. But why? How do you grow from it? How do you learn from it? How does that make you better? That's what great athletes do. They embrace it. They embrace it and learn from it, and it improves their performance and improves who they are. And not only in sport, but in life. If you're successful in what you do, you have screwed up and failed a bunch, but you're not scared to do it again because you know you can overcome it. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. Here's farmer and businessman James Wood. We farm about 3,500 acres. There's pipelines everywhere. The contractor working on my property did not have the lines located before he began work, and it resulted on a strike on a natural gas pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety campaign. All across the country, people are coming together to speed up what we can learn about health. The All of Us Research Program is calling on one million people to join us as we try to change the future of health. For your family, for future generations, for all of us. Visit joinallofus.org and find out how you can become one in a million. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. 
Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we talk about your mind on this show. We talk about sports psychology, about attitude, about focus. And today's topic has been the issue of self-confidence. You know, in, in the world of sports, that word, that t- those two words, self-confidence, that phrase, is emphasized and discussed maybe more than anything else when a game ends, when we talk about how somebody feels about the way they played, how they performed. And the issue to me starts with development when you're younger. How do you develop confidence with kids? I've worked with some great coaches over the years. I've worked with some coaches who, quite frankly, were pretty crummy people insulting, degrading. I haven't really spent much time with them because they don't want to be around me. But I've been around some of those people. I've been around some great people. And what I found is is that the really great coaches are not afraid to challenge people. They're not afraid to get on them when they're screwing up, but they get on them in a way to reinforce and encourage to them how they can get better. I think great coaches themselves are not afraid to share their failures with their athletes. Not afraid to talk about when they've screwed up, when they've made a mistake. And when they do make a mistake, to admit it to their team, to their, their athletes, and talk about it. I've worked with many, many coaches and athletes who have done this over the years. Self-confidence is the ability to believe in who you are, what you're about. And it starts with understanding that it's not about winning or losing, it's about who you are. I've been fortunate enough to work with some great people and I've learned so much along the way. And to me, it comes back to this issue, how you handle the ability to believe in yourself, what confidence is, what it means, how you build it, how you destroy it. Let's go back to the phones. Who do we have on line one? Let's talk to Brad. Brad, good morning, how are you? Morning, Dr. Jacobs. You know who I am calling, I'm sure. Yes, this is Brad Sweeten, who I had on a couple weeks ago, the athletic director at Center High School. Thanks for calling in. I think coaches, uh, their body language tells sometimes a lot more than um, what they say even. You talked about the guy glaring at the uh, girl and when he took her out of the game. Right. I think, I really think coaches... (laughs) need to try to stay within themselves. They can never be too high or too low. And um, try to put kids in positions where they're going to succeed, especially when they're younger. And then if there's a screw-up, a good coach will take that kid aside because the kid already knows they screwed up. Well, well, wait, Brad, you think they know they screwed up? Yeah, of course they know it. That's the problem. So when a co- excuse me for interrupting, but but then when a coach degrades them, 
they already know they've screwed up and want to coach the grades, and what gets accomplished? No. The best coaches take that kid aside uh, after practice, and they shoot 50 free throws, and they shoot with encouragement, or they hit them 25 ground balls, or um, take the volleyball player and help her figure out how to set the ball. That's what a great coach does. Right, because that's called coaching. That's what it's about. And, you know, I, I've mentioned it earlier. I, one of my favorite sayings that I've, I've had along the years is a, is a good coach checks his or her ego at the door. It's not about them. It's about the kids they're working with. And a good coach is not going to, you know, if you've if you got kids that are screwing up and making mistakes and aren't trying and it's an effort issue, that's one thing, right? But if they're, if they're trying and they screw up, that's a whole different situation. Would you agree? Oh, very much so. I mean, if you got kids who just aren't trying, they're, you know, lallygagging out there. They're not pushing themselves. They're they're not hustling. Then a coach has a, has a right to get on them. I, I agree with that. I don't have any problem with that at all. But it's also how you get on them too, correct? Yes, sir. And what what's your and what's your suggestion about that? You're an athletic director. You deal with these people all the time. What do you think? Well, kids play for different different reasons. You know, some kids are there just to be with their friends. Some kids are there because they love a game. Um, that great coach goes out there and figures out why that kid's there and knows how he can talk to him and knows how he how far he can push him and puts him in a position to be successful. You know, I'm going to be out in L.A. this next week to visit my mom, and uh, my mom's in assisted living, and I want to I try to see her every few months. And I'm going to have breakfast with Steve Haig, who in 1984 won a gold and silver medal in cycling in the Olympics. And I'm going to have Steve come on the show again here in a couple weeks, and we're going to talk about things. Because as a 19-year-old, he won a gold medal and a silver medal in the Olympics. And he had to deal with self-confidence issues, and he's talked about it before. He's been on the show years years ago, to just be able to focus and confident, co- concentrate on himself. And he set a world record, in fact, in the uh, individual uh, pursuit uh and his focus was all, all on himself. And he he said, hey, you know, if I don't do it, I don't do it, but I'm going to go for it. He let the barriers go. He let the obstacles go. And, I, and, and that was something I learned in 1984, Brad, is, is that the great athletes will let go of that fear and just go for it. And if they get what they want, great. If they don't, at least they knew they made the effort. What do you think of that? Uh, what a great attitude that is. But if you have a coach that's breathing down your neck and you're afraid he's going to yell at you every time the ball's hit to you or uh, a football, a ball's thrown at you or uh, you're too scared to do it. I mean, maybe you're going to succeed once every 10 times, but I can guarantee you're going to screw up. If you've got that in the, in the back of your mind, you're going to screw up more than anything. Well, that was my whole point when I mentioned the, the whole topic of fear. Okay. Confidence so much. I think the great athletes aren't scared. They're not scared to mess up. They're not scared to screw up because they know, hey, it's going to happen. I just have to work through it. But, the, but if you're scared and you're afraid of failing, afraid of screwing up, afraid of messing up to, because you're going to, your coach or your parents or your friends are going to get angry, then you don't do it. And then that whole cycle just keeps getting worse and worse. You agree with that? Yes, sir. And I think that then that if, you're, if you have that fear – I think it can follow you the rest of your life, too. You fear of making a decision, a commitment to um, a spouse, or um, how you talk to your kids then, too. 
Well, listen, sir, I want to thank you for calling in. We, we had a great interview a couple of weeks ago. I appreciate you, your input today. And, and, you know, you do a great job at Center High School. I know you teach kids the right things there. And you've got your coaches in the right direction with your, your positive perspective that you do. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care. Have a great day. You know, th- this, this topic that we're getting into, okay, the whole, whole topic of self-confidence, it comes on all the time with the shows I do. It comes on, it gets mentioned by people all the time. If you watch pro sports, if you watch collegiate sports, high school sports, Olympic sports, you watch sports. Confidence is part of what it's about. Now, I think it starts, and I'm going to sum up what we got into today. It starts with development as a young athlete about having fun. You teach kids to have fun. If they do well, if they don't do well, have fun. When my youngest son, Gregory, started playing soccer in kindergarten, and this this is a very emotional thing for me to say, but my younger son, Gregory, I have two sons, Jonathan and Gregory. They're 29, 28 now. Gregory is playing his first soccer game. I was married at the time to his mother. We were at a wedding and the reception was running late and I said, I've got to get to his game. It's his first game. And she and my wife said, go. She had to stay at the wedding. It was her relative. Anyway, I got to the game. It was three on three, boys and girls. Gregory scored six goals. Three for his team and three for the other. He had the biggest smile on his face that I will never forget. It didn't matter to me he scored goals for the other team. He was having fun. My son Gregory became a really good swimmer, swam all the way to his senior year in college, and he had fun with it. He wasn't the very best, but he was his best. And to me, that's what this is about. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hope you enjoyed the show today. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to get a hold of me. You can check out my website, winnersunlimited.com. Send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. Follow me on Twitter at DRJ Sports Psych. Our shows are podcasted on my website, also on Twitter. They're also here at Sports Radio 810 WHB on the additional programming page. You can give me a call at my office at 816-561-5556. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Have a great week. Next week, Willie Wilson, Royals Hall of Famer, will be on with me. Take care. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. 
If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. When dad injured his back... When your basketball star tore his ACL, opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country, and tragically, More than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets. Anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you, too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. <laughs> 